You may have enjoyed some of the other content brought to you by the Yale Summer Cabaret, but the following content contains adult language and themes. It is not intended to be consumed by children. My name is Stephanie Quo. My name is Andrew Riedemann. My name is Mia Heyman. My name is Chloe Knight. My name is Doug Robinson, and we are the leadership team for the Yale Summer Cabaret 2021. The Yale Summer Cabaret 2021 aims to reimagine what theater can be by embracing non-traditional space where anyone can follow their artistic impulses and develop new works, skills, and passions. We aim to offer artistic and entertainment opportunities to the David Geffen School of Drama at Yale, the Greater New Haven area, and anyone logging in from wherever you are. We are happy to build upon the growing online accessibility of previous cabaret seasons and creating work that is available to you on demand. We hope you will join us again in the future for more works brought to you by the Yale Summer Cabaret. Enjoy the show. 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 Yo, what's good, Blue Shirt? How you doing? Well, red shirt. Is that red? Maroon? It, maroon, plum, something in the middle like that. Oh, come on, know. I love a plum. I love plum. Plum is like my, I saw a plum suit. Uh, I'm going to a wedding on the 26th and I saw a plum suit and I was like, oh, I need that suit. And I go to the store and the guy's like, oh yeah, that's a good looking suit. I'm like, oh, I want it. He's like, but how many suits do you own? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, that is a very summertime suit. Like come September, you can't be wearing that Wear suit. That. And yeah. I was like, what do you what do you mean i can wear a suit whenever i want to wear a suit He's like no like it won't work and i was like well i have a black suit that i've had that i don't really like anymore and now i'm trying to get like a nice fitted suit like i think it's time to get one of those and i want this plum and he's like no it's you need a yearly suit so now huh. on june on june 12th i'll be going back up to greenwich connecticut to the suit store after doing my fitting getting this nice like deep forest green suit i'm Ooh. feeling I love color, you know, uh, when I first got there, he was like, we have this like dark Navy. And I was like, get out of here. Who do you think you are making me wear a Navy suit? Like some Republican get out. <laughs> I feel like that's what I need. That's one thing I refuse to be an adult. And so I refuse to get a suit. And it's the one thing that I just like, I, I have a couple of cute suits and I have like seasonal suits, but I don't have like mm -hmm. a business suit. You know, there's everyone's supposed to have that business suit and I have that. So I want to grow up. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, growing up is overrated at this point. Like I got, I got like Power Rangers on my walls. I got like, I spent $400 with of that like unemployment money that I got from the government on like a rare- Don't be telling the FBI what you did with that money. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I forget. They hear everything. But no, I did. I was like, I want this. I've wanted this for years since I was a kid. Saw it on eBay, $400. I was like, okay, $400. You know what? Uncle Sam owes me a lot. Listen, Uncle I'm the same way about like vinyl. I have this huge vinyl collection, but the mm -hmm. one thing that I don't have on vinyl is someone who I stand. I utterly love Rihanna. I love her, like worship at, at Temple. And I don't have any Rihanna on vinyl. And so during the pandemic, of course, I started searching for like as many different and trying to pull her entire uh, catalog together. And then finally, I found a whole box that had the entire catalog. And it was something like $200 or $300. I was like, I cannot. Yes, I can. Yes, Come can. on, Uncle Sam. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Let me you go ahead and get this. <laughs> 
you gotta do it. You gotta do it. Joy, joy does have a price tag sometimes. Come on. Sometimes. And like, you gotta put a down payment. You gotta, you gotta count your pennies. Like you count your blessings and you make Uh it work. Uh-huh. That's why I don't have children. So I can keep like, I can keep being the child. <laughs> Amen. I like, so my sister just got married. So everyone's looking at me and they're looking at me and my partner, Genevieve. And they're like, I guess you're next. And then Genevieve was like, maybe we are. And then possibly kids. And I looked at her and I was like, on, on, on whose salary? You were, you were on whose, on who, who got that kind of greed? You know, I will say this, though, that one, I don't think that anybody is ever going to be prepared financially to have a child. Like, I think if you really actually break it all apart, there is no way that anybody ever is going to be ready financially for that. (laughs) You know, like, I feel like that's utterly, utterly impossible. And I will say that I have a friend that had a couple of friends, actually, that had like pandemic babies. (laughs) And so um, it's interesting to watch the way a village will come together to support some folks when they need it. You know, if, if yeah. you have a community and you then have a baby, that entire community will show up for that baby. I see the way that people like walk down the street and look at babies and they're like, oh, the whole neighborhood stops. And I'm like, move, get out the way. What's everybody looking at? <laughs> move that baby out the way. <laughs> but you know, like, so I, I, I just know that, um, Again, I'm a little too, I'm in the phase where I want to buy the Rihanna album and I don't want to think like, ooh, do I buy diapers or the Rihanna album? <laughs> and you know, and, and you know I, I truly see like the great decision that that is, right? Like, uh-huh. it's, like it's like some people are like, oh, you get the diapers, obviously. Uh-huh. And it's like, you don't understand what it means to love something like that. <laughs> like y'all don't, it's your baby. Yeah, it's my baby. I can make another one. It's fine. <laughs> It'll be okay. We can wash a diaper. This uh, this box. Where am I going to find this? No. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much real quick just for, for being here so we can do the, the business end of things. Oh, of course. Right? Of course. Yeah, the it, official. It has been like, as soon as the idea of a podcast came and we were going to like interview people in the theater community, not about theater, I was like, who do I think has a thousand stories and a million opinions? I was like, okay, Raymond Caldwell, this is the man I want to be bringing on. So thank you for your time. I'm going to take this moment real quick to brag on you a little bit by reading your bio so everyone can appreciate the the man, the myth, the legend right in front of me. Uh, I did look up how to pronounce where you were born. I looked it up two days ago, so maybe I have forgotten, but uh, Raymond Caldwell was born in Wiesbaden, Germany, and raised all over the world. Uh, His pronouns are he, him, his, and he is an award-winning director and producer who has been leading Washington, D.C.'s Theater Alliance as producing director since 2018. He has directed for Roundhouse, Imagination Stage, Mosaic Theater, the Kennedy Center, National Players, OTC, Solus New, Cultural DC, and the Higira? The Higira. In the Hijira, uh, prior to leading Theater Alliance, he was on. I was a faculty member and resident director in Howard University's Department of Theater Arts for six years, and he spent six seasons as the Community Engagement Partnership Manager at Arena Stage. This man is committed to using theater as a tool to transform communities, and he has worked with a number of nonprofits and NGOs throughout the world. In July 2019, in partnership with the U.S. Department of State and the NGOs based in India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh and Nepal, he developed theater with artists and activists to promote peace and counter violent extremism. 
He has done similar work throughout the US, India, Ukraine, and Croatia. He has an MFA in acting and new play development from The Ohio State University and a BFA in acting from University of Florida. Look at this man and his degrees and his accolades showing up, showing off as always. Again, Raymond, thank you for being you. Thank you for the work that you do. You are a gift and a sunlight. And now I'm gonna stop blowing smoke up your ass and we gonna keep going. <laughs> Yo, thank you for having me. And thank you for creating a space to talk about anything but theater. And I will say that before we even jump in because I feel like that's such an important space. I started realizing during the pandemic, like, oh, oh wait, am I allowed to cuss on that? Yeah, you can oh, cuss. Crap. Okay, I'm like, I'm oh shit. Am- <laughs> we, got, we, got, we, got, we got things. Oh good, oh good. Yeah, I, I was starting to think like, and you know, it started uh, shortly after I took over even leadership. I started wondering like, you know, when you spend so much time trying to build a career in the theater, sometimes you lose sight of like your own self. And I started asking myself like, what are my interests and what are my hobbies outside of the theater? And so it's something that I've actually been thinking on for the whole year and a half, everything <laughs> years now that we've been in pandemic. And so um, the second that that email came, I was like, hell yes, I'd love that opportunity. So yeah. thank you, thank you for having me. You know, I'm a huge, huge fan of yours. So um, I just appreciate you. No, thank you. Uh, I'm gonna, since this is our episode one, possibly, I don't know if we're gonna do this in order, who knows? Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna just go over a little bit of the ground rules for a possible audiences out there. So anything but theater, the rule is just that. We will talk about anything but theater at a certain point. Right now we're getting into it. We're going to give Raymond a chance to like talk about a little bit of himself. But then once we hit a certain point, no theater. If we do talk about theater, if someone catches someone talking about theater, they must take a shot up to five shots during the duration of the conversation. Now, recognizing that in the theater world, there's a lot of like alcoholism and substance abuse. We want to invite people when they come in. If you feel comfortable taking a shot of alcohol, do that. But if you want to take a shot of orange juice or water, it's not about the liquor itself. It's about the reminder that, oh yeah, I did that thing that I said I wasn't going to do. And now we can try to move on. So I have brought with me uh, the last bit of this Pinot Noir finished bourbon. I got about five shots left in here. So I'm going to pour one just so it's there waiting for me. God forbid I have to drink it. I mean, not really, but you know, just in case. <laughs> Maybe I'll just slip a little thing in there. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so that's Can I talk thing. to you about really quickly what I did and what I am drinking today? Oh, what are you drinking? What are you bringing? Um, have you ever seen Poetic Justice? And that moment where like they stop at the, (laughs) so they stop at a convenience store to get some orange juice because they want some gin and juice. Mm -hmm. And so they get a new orange juice um, and and someone hands on one of the characters hands it to another characters and is like, drink it to the middle, drink it to the middle. And you drink the orange juice to the middle so that you can pour the rest and fill the rest up with Ah. whatever your beverage is. So I went to the grocery store before we started this and I picked up a Dr. Pepper a diet Dr. Pepper and I went home and chugged it to the middle and then I just filled it up with vodka so (laughs) yes I love this life we live in I love it I love it I love it Bark and Vine is quickly becoming one of my favorite spots in New Haven. Located at 49 Orange Street, they are an indoor plant shop specializing in tropical plants. 
Whether you're a first-time plant parent like myself or a long-time gardener, their shop has everything you need. They believe that a green thumb is learned, not gifted. You can learn how to take care of plants, find out what they love, what they need, so they can thrive in your own space. And they're here to guide you. Their knowledgeable team of plant experts will guide you every step of the way in finding your first, second, third, fourth, fifth, however many plants you desire. So go on in, check out Bark and Vine on 49th and Orange Street. Yeah, it's so interesting because we weren't allowed, like there were lots of subjects throughout school that I just was not interested in. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, I would regularly tell, and, and I think by the time I was in high school, my father would always know the classes that I was not interested in. You could not bring home anything that was under a B. And so the classes that I didn't like, I allowed myself to get a B in. Everything else that I enjoyed, I got an A in. Yeah. Um, but this idea of, of like doing everything really well, I think was reinforced both by like my militant black father who was like, you the black man in the room and the only black man, you be the best black man, you know? And, and then my very like Filipino culture of like, be good, be good, be the best. And so I think that these two things created uh, my work ethic and, and mm. uh, a love for rigor and a love for work that I think throughout the pandemic, I started realizing like, ooh, that might be unhealthy. I might need to sit on someone's couch about that. <laughs> yeah, just, just a little bit. And, and hey, I respect, I respect the hustle. I do. I think there's a way to live, have a hustle lifestyle that isn't like serving a capitalistic God, isn't like upholding white supremacy. I don't think the hustle is inherently wrong, but I gotta say, gotta say, like I, I've had the, I've had the privilege in my life that I've had a good tongue and have been able to talk my way out of doing most things I didn't want to do. I, it's just, it's, it's a gift. My mom and father, they always said, we just need to get him through high school and he'll be fine. He uh -huh. will be fine in the world, but we got to get him to do well in math. We got to get him to, to do well. I remember when I took biology and I was like, mom, why do I need to know what a cell is? She's like, why? History, I understand. English, I understand. Earth science, topography. Yeah, reading a map, I understand why I need those things. Mm. But like, so as I've gotten older, I've really been able to like carve out a life where it's like, if it is not my passion, mm. I find a way to either enjoy the company that I am in and I am there for the company of the people, even if the work is arduous and not anything of interest. But it's like finding out what can get me excited about it, which is something I lacked in my early education. Mm. Because it's really difficult. Like I worked at a restaurant job and like, did I love working at the restaurant? I would say yes, but really I loved working with the people. I loved the energy of, of the conversation. I didn't love some lady, some man, some child on Sunday in their Sunday best demanding different eggs Benedict from me. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> but that's I found so joy. I, found... I, I think that I've always innately been just a worker bee mm. and and believed in like work. <laughs> Maybe it's the German in me, right? Like I, I think about my earliest job. I think one of my first jobs, well, not I think I know, one, one of my earliest jobs was an employee at The Gap. I loved The Gap. I got hired at The Gap 
only because I went there every single day from the time I was like, I started working at Einstein Bros Bagels, did not want to work there, wanted to work at The Gap. So I went to The Gap once a week and asked the manager if she were hiring. I asked her once a week for two, maybe three months. By month four, she couldn't take it anymore. And she's like, kid, you're in here every day. How about I let you know if you have a job? And I was like, no, I'll just keep coming asking. (laughs) (laughs) Because I wasn't going to let some white woman determine my fantasy at the gap. (laughs) I was going to wear her down. And surely I did. And I think uh, finally one day I came in and she's like, okay, you've asked enough, fill out the application and then come next Friday and start training. And that's how I got my first job because I was the job that I wanted, right? Yeah. And and then I had to do that like thing where I needed to be the best, that thing that had been ingrained in me. So by the time I, w- I started working there, maybe when I was 16, by the time I was 18, my senior year of high school, I was the manager of the store. I had employees under me. I was doing half days. I would go to school and then come into the gap in the middle of the day. And I wanted my store to be competitive. And I want all for the work, right? Because I loved the work. And I think I've taken that idea, that same sense into every single job I've been in. Don't only just go there, but be the best there and transform it so much that they can't do without you. And when they can't do without you, then they're going to pay you more. Right. And so that was always <laughs> was always my logic in literally everything I did. But to your point, I think that because that was my relationship with work, I never carved out a space to think about what my interests were um, or or like what else I could do. <laughs> and so I've spent so much of my life trying to build a career. No, I mean, careers are good. I mean, I, I'm currently working on that career path at this moment, I guess, whatever that will mean whatever that is. coming into the world. Um, but there, there is something, and you know, I'm going to take a drink. I'm going to take a drink because I, I want to talk about this thing. I want to talk about it. I'm going to talk about this theater thing. I'm sorry. I'm breaking the rule. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let it be known. You broke the rule. I did not. I broke the rule. I just like this the the work ethic in theater that I've seen people, the, this culture of like, yeah, I'll stay up till like 4 a.m. to do the thing. Yes, I will like burn myself for the art. I've realized that like theater will never burn itself for me. Um, theater will never go above and beyond to take care of me and the way that I have like revered, worshiped and honored it. Hmm. And like how, how, how do I take that work ethic energy that I think so many theater practitioners have that I've had for this thing? Like I said, I joy is what inspires me to go to work. And the thing that I love to do has caused me pain over the years. How do I like continue in this vein without burnout? Hmm. And right now I don't feel like burnout is around the corner, but I look at some friends that I've had. I look at some older theater people that I know and I'm like, oh, you look tired today. Huh. And coming out of pandemic into this world, how do we enshrine grace for each other? How do we enshrine enshrine like empathy and saying, hey, I feel like, oh yeah, we're getting rid of 10 out of 12s. I'm like, that's great. But like, do people have time to have families? 
Yeah. You know, I think about that in, in tandem with like you being in graduate school as well, because I wonder if in tandem to all that, we actually create more space for training, not only in the arts, but everywhere, but because we're talking about the arts right now, because to your point, yeah, it, it does take a lot to create art sometimes, but also the more you know, the more paths you then know to get there, yeah. right? And so I think imagining other pathways happens when educational and experience opportunities actually open up. And, and so thinking about the training of an artist and part of that training is actually teaching to work quicker, right? To work and not have to do so then much labor. Um, um, but, but, but we're not centering that conversation in this moment. We're centering the fact that we're all exhausted, but we can't talk about, well, why is it that we're exhausted? We're exhausted, yes, capitalism and, and the American theater system that grows and feeds on capitalism, but also because we aren't, we aren't given enough spaces and places to train and to train with rigor. What happens in graduate school, and the thing that I loved about graduate school, it was we were training with rigor. You sat in a room with people and they were like, that was horrible. And this is why. There was no like, you're wonderful. And what you're doing is really just great. Because sometimes what we create is not great. And what we need actually is someone to hold us accountable and go, that's some shit. You're not trying right now. Because there are all days that we don't try. <laughs> there are all days we try to, to your point, use our good words and talk around why we've not done the work. Right. So so that level of accountability asks for a space and a training space that can foster that so that in that space where there are no risks, where it's literally about my own learning, that then when I get back out into the field, I can take what I learned there and find the shortcuts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yes, one plus one is two, but there are other shortcuts to that. Um, and, and so creating that space. But that's that's rare. <laughs> and, and 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 I going to the word rigor I'm very interested in right now and I'll move us away from the the theater world because I, I I worry at times that rigor and capitalism are used as like synonyms right and that people assume that because there is rigor it must be problematic it must be upholding white supremacy it must be not just in theater I think in many spaces Completely. and I think sometimes we us and I, I, I'll speak from Doug Robinson. Doug Robinson sometimes feels that when people are saying, no, we, we don't want it to be difficult. I'm like, no, I want it to be difficult though. Like I, I want to feel challenged. Yeah. And when you don't challenge me because you're worried about my, my mental health and my self-care, it makes me think you don't trust that I will speak up for myself. And this is very Doug Robinson. I am uh -huh. not going to speak for other people. Other people may use this and need this. I wish them they have all the support they need. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. I want a mountain in front of me and someone to say climb mm -hmm. and then I fucking climb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that what happens and I, you know, the, the, the tricky thing, and I think this is happening at a lot of academic institutions from the elementary school level all the way to the collegiate level. I think that learning actually is about rigor. 
right? You there because it, it's hard to learn things that you don't know because you have to constantly make mistakes. But I think it also asks instructors to create a space that actually respects where students' boundaries are. Because sometimes when I was teaching, and I would find this regularly, you know, at, at Howard, and, and I spent six years teaching there. And, and sometimes it's easier and capitalism tells us hey, teacher, show up and teach to the middle of the room because that's all you have to do. My job is to teach these five points. I show up and teach those five points. But when I show up in the classroom as a teacher, I need to teach these five points, but there are whole gaps in knowledge in the room. Some people can easily get to those five points. And some people don't know a whole lot of basic things that will get them that they need actually to get to those five points. Yeah. So the learning, getting those five points is the rigor, right? But me as the instructor, I have to then create the space for every single person to get there. And that asks me to think about each of my students on an individual level. And that's really that, that can be really exhausting, particularly like when you're an adjunct being paid very little money, right? Like, <laughs> let's be very real about the capitalist society we, we live in. So, you know, I, I think that creating a space of learning that actually meets learners and sets up challenges for each of those learners on an individual basis is how deep learning happens. And then how do we create space for the collective to then learn from one one another because everyone in the room knows shit and then everyone in the room don't know shit right um so yeah but that's 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 hard that's it's really hard. hard and not and a lot of not a lot of teachers or instructors think that way um so yeah rigor is seen as something that's negative but it's actually incredibly necessary it is um, to learn no, it's necessary to learn. It's necessary for, for growth. And once again, we're not talking about trauma. We are not talking about abuse in any way, shape, or form. We are not talking about a lack of respect for boundaries. We are just saying, I mean, I think we are saying that to be challenged is to be met with, I, I think to challenge someone is to love them in a mm -hmm. weird way. I think uh, that I ask a lot of my friends. I think I demand their best selves mm -hmm. on a regular basis. And sometimes they fall short and sometimes I fall short and I hug them and they hug me and they take care of, we take care of each other. Mm -hmm. But it's the fact that I still every day demand the best of you and you demand the best of me allows me the opportunity to be my best. Mm -hmm. Without that demand, without that challenge, without that rigor, I can just lean back. And there have been days where I've leaned back and very happily leaned back. I took an econ class once and the teacher liked me and I literally didn't do a damn thing in that class except talk to them before class, maybe answer something during class, but I didn't do a damn lick of work. And I got an A because the teacher liked me and it was easy. <laughs> but did I learn enough about economics? No, I had to go three years later when I was like, oh, I should have fucking paid more. I should have done that. I should have like, that's really good shit. And my father studied economics. So now I'm over here calling my dad like, yo, what is this thing? Didn't you learn this like four years ago? Yes, but that's not the point. The point is I need it now. <laughs> and I need a crash course. <laughs> Thank you.
you a New Haven, Connecticut business looking for new ways to reach customers? Come and advertise with us, the Anything But Theater podcast, brought to you by the Yale Summer Cabaret 2021. Raymond, I just want to say, like, I know we've kind of gone all over the world with this conversation, literally, like we've been to Germany, we've been to America, I guess we didn't really go too far, but we've been lots of different places. And I just want to say again, thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Uh, but also, I want to use this as like a platform for you, like Raymond. You kind of dope. So like, we're gonna we're gonna break our no theater rule now. Yeah. Not actually break it, but we're gonna we're gonna take a pause from that universe. Uh-huh. And Raymond, like, what are you? What's going on? What do you? What's going on at Theater Alliance right now? Yeah, yeah. So you know, we've been doing a lot of thinking at Theater Alliance, and you know, I I, I since I took over the company, have been very clear about the fact that this platform and Theater Alliance. We are an activist organization. We always have, um, the goal of our work is always to produce socially conscious, thought-provoking work that moves audiences to really dynamic conversation. Um, but I don't think conversation is enough. And I think that folks really believe that the talking is enough. So everybody comes to the theater, they see some political idea, they pat themselves on the back and they're like, mm, I've done the work, I'm better. Um, and it's like, no, <laughs> that's very selfish. You are better, but your community is not. So do the work, show up. Um, So all of our work are connected to community partners that are teaching our audiences actually and tangibly how to get involved. Um, Mm -hmm. When the Black Lives Matter movement really was in the heat of its swing this summer, um, we identified eight playwrights to write eight different 10 minute plays about legislative ideas connected to the Black Lives Matter movement. Because I was finding that we were only talking about BLM, but we weren't talking about the politics of BLM. remembering that this is a political movement. And so here are eight key political moving points for the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, we couldn't be together in person. Um, So we were exploring and continue to explore this space between film and theater. We actively are are bringing folks together and building films. Uh, You know, the second piece of our season was a piece called The Quadrant Series. And and that piece really centered Washington, D.C. I find that folks always want to talk about like America and racism in America, but don't want to talk about a city that is uh, consequential in the history of Black people. And that's Washington, D.C. That's Chocolate City. The experiences of Black people uh, here in the nation's capital echo out all throughout the country. And so uh, we identified four playwrights to write four plays set in each of the quadrants of Washington, DC. And again, made a film using those because we could not gather, but our mission is so important in having these conversations. Um, And so I say all of that to say coming up and we are ending our season with a really, really dope piece by Salmayeni24. Salm is perhaps one of the most brilliant hip hop playwrights. Um, Salm has written this really amazing play. We are are making a film of called The Blackest Battle. Um, It's a really dope premise It's the 4th of July. It's way into the future. It's so far in the future. Uh, There's been a civil war. Black people have received reparations. um, And and yet gun violence is still a thing. And, you know, I'll share that uh, if we want to talk about Black Lives Mattering, then we actually have to talk about our gun laws. Um, And so the Blackest Battle is about two warring gangs that are still using guns and taking lives. um, But a love story that happens among it all. And so it's a hip hop musical. Uh, We are really excited to be producing it. It will be released in July. Um, So wherever you are, please, please, please check it out. Check out our work. Um, And and yeah, 
that's what I'll say about what it is we are doing. And then all of that to say, we're also about to announce a really, really, really dope season 19. Our 19th season is about to be really, really fly. And I'll just share that the first thing that we are centering is healing post the pandemic. And so how are we actively doing that thing that we were talking about, creating a space for healing um, after we've all faced our own mortality? How do we all come back together? recognize that we all survived something, recognize that some of us in our community did not. Yeah. And then how do we create a space for healing? So that is what we are doing. Uh, check it out, check all of our work out. If you are ever in Washington, DC, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Support, support, support. We are a small company, but we are punching way above, way above our weight. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just brag a little bit real quick about Alliance. Uh, Raymond directed a production of Blood at the Root few years ago and to this day and I'm someone who sees at least like 70 plays a year like I, I'm that asshole uh, to this day Blood the Root is one of the most brilliant things I have ever seen yeah. I think it is one of the best things that has ever happened in DC yeah. I think it probably still is the best theater I've seen in DC. Who knows what like next year will bring? Maybe something will top it. But to this to this day, it is the best play I've seen in Washington DC. So check out Theater Alliance. Check out the work of Raymond Caldwell. Check out D. Just check out DC theater. Yeah, like they. It's a it's a town that I love. It's a town that I'm gonna come back to when yep. all this grad school thing is over. Yeah, uh, we have a website. We will be able to go to. Uh huh. And it is www theater alliance that's theater with an er www.theateralliance.com and you can get all of the information about all of our digital work um, and what's happening next season that'll be going live soon too raymond thank you so much for being here you've been a gift you are a mentor much love and have a wonderful evening oh, doug i adore you i adore you thank you for creating this space come back to us we miss you i'll be back soon Bye. <laughs>